Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, presented as always by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, exclusive partner of the Podcast One Sportsnet. Use the promo code PODCAST1. Get a 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag. It's going to be an interesting Brant's Rants podcast because it's my partner in crime, Ross Tucker. I'm on his show every week, and I'm bringing him on mine to A, interview but debate what's been out there in the news and I've talked about on this podcast before. As we sit here today, the 2,000-plus NFL players are debating whether to give a yes or give a no to a proposed 11-year collective bargaining agreement. I've said that that deal has some flaws. I've tried to point out the inequities. Uh, And maybe it's a good time to Ross, who's for the deal, to debate. And we agree on some things we disagree on a lot, but we disagree in a reasonable way. And he addresses the things that he thinks uh, are good about the deal and it should be voted upon. In terms of yes, I address some things that are concerned about that I've addressed on Sports Illustrated. I also addressed what I've seen out there sort of about me and uh, campaigning. I've even been reading from a couple writers uh, about uh, campaigning for the NFLPA executive director job, which of course is not open and I'm not campaigning for it and I don't want the job. So I let Ross talk about that. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Again, things seem to be driven by agendas, seem to be upset at me having... uh, getting retweets from a lot of players. I don't know what's going on behind it. it. It'd be nice to know what the agenda is for people putting that out there. But I talked to Ross about all the above in this podcast of the business of sports, really a deep dive on different sides of the NFL CBA. So without further ado, here I am with Ross Tucker debating the 2020 proposed 11-year collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFL players. We're turning the tables on a Brant's rant. It's still a Brant's rant, but with my partner in crime on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network, the one and only Ross Tucker joins me. And we're going to talk about this CBA because it's so vital right now. And I just want him to ask me questions. I've been vocal criticizing aspects of the deal, thinking that it has some inequities. Ross has been a proponent of the deal, and here we are. Ross, good to have you on the Business of Sports podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Andrew. I'm obviously a big fan of the podcast, love the Business of Sports, and Love everything you do. Um, Even when we disagree, we can, as we like to say, disagree without being disagreeable. So I'm very much looking forward to sort of going over, especially your story from March 3rd. That's got a lot of attention. The inequities of the proposed CBA. I thought you did an outstanding job of laying out some of the things that you're concerned about that you don't like about this CBA. Uh, but this is kind of a unique opportunity for me to actually be able to, to grill you a little bit on it and, and get some responses. Are you up for it? I am. And I think a lot of, you know, this will be helpful, hopefully to listeners of all our, all our, your and my podcast, but all around because we hear so much about yes or no, or hard stances and, like you just said, I think we're both 
comfortable enough with nuance and comfortable enough that it doesn't have to be a hard yes or hard no. And there's complexities that can be good and bad for players. And and I I back at you with your column for the athletic. I think you make some good points in support of the deal. So here we go. I'll let you um, be the be the interviewer, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. So I think the the crux of it is on some level is whether or not the players are getting enough for a seventeenth game, and I think that that is uh, that part of it's somewhat subjective. I had some specific questions that I wanted to get your thoughts on. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the desire to have labor peace now and to get the CBA done now because of the television contracts and the belief that before the ratings maybe go down because of the election or perhaps even the potential television packages aren't as big because of the economy and uh, initially people were talking about that from the political element of it but obviously now with coronavirus even over the last couple weeks perhaps that's changed a little bit but evidently there are concerns because of both the ratings and the political environment that Perhaps the TV deals won't be as good a year from now, or even if they start to negotiate them now, as they would be if the owners and players had labor peace. So I think on some level, it starts there and whether or not you believe that, because it certainly seems like most of the people I've talked to believe that those concerns are legitimate. Yeah, and I think it's, again, you said subjective and framing, and and I hope we get back to that 17th game because it is the crux of the issue. But let's talk about TV deals. It's no secret. You're right. Absolutely no secret. Everyone agrees on this, that the NFL owners want to get to the table with CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, and whoever, Amazon, Google, Yahoo, YouTube, etc., no secret there. The question becomes, what do those networks want? And I haven't heard from them, but I'm assuming since the NFL wants 17 games so bad, obviously the networks do. And of course the networks want labor peace. They don't want to go into a negotiation not knowing whether there's football in 2021. So to me, that gives the players extraordinary leverage. And the way I look at a potential downturn in the economy and the way I look at potential ratings dip in the election year is more, not less, more leverage for the players. Because the owners are scared of negotiating in that environment, so they'd like to get ahead of it. And to get ahead of it, they need the players. Now, you can hear the spin, well, they can just do the deals without that player deal. Okay. They're doing deals for 16 games, and they're doing deals not knowing whether there's football in 2021. Good luck with that. (laughs) So I I just don't understand this fear tactic, and maybe that's too strong a word, this idea that the players better hurry up 
because they'll do contracts without them, and it'll be less money. In the history of NFL negotiations with media, obviously it never goes down. And to think it won't go up because of an election year where there won't be another one in four year, until four years from now, I mean, and whatever we want to talk about the virus and where it's going to look in two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, six months, you know, that, again, is complete conjecture as well. So what I don't understand there, Andrew, is it seems like you agree on some level that there are concerns there and that you believe yeah. that it gives the players leverage, but the the timing is over now. I mean, the new league year starts on the 18th and the tampering's on the 16th. So they either vote yes and accept this deal or they vote no and they're not negotiating again or even having a chance to come to a deal until after this season. You agree with that, right? I mean, they're going to play the 2020 season under the terms of the last year of the previous CBA. I do not agree with that. I do not agree with the premise that if the players turn down the deal on March 16th, there will be no negotiations with the players until March of 2021 or whatever, February of 2021. I do not agree with that. I don't understand the feeling that the owners are going to be so upset, they're going to pack their briefcases, they're going to rub the player's nose in it like a dog who pooped on the family carpet and not talk to them for a year. I... <laughs> I've been involved in negotiations on both sides. I don't think it works that way. That's my opinion. Okay, so but you do agree that if they vote no to this CBA right now, that the 2020 season will go under the terms of the last year of the previous CBA. You're just saying Correct. that you think that they would negotiate, that they would maybe still negotiate for a new deal that starts in 2021. Yes, we're talking about it. Every every comment from the union I've heard is early deal, and this would be a year early deal. It could be a six month early deal. It could be a three month early deal with with as you said, new rules starting in 2021. When again, Ross, there's not going to be much change in 2020, even with a new deal. Yeah, the players are going to get extra minimum salaries. The split's going to be the same. The 16 games is going to be the same free agency is going to be the same. I mean, it's not going to be a lot different with or without a deal in 2020. Well, so I just don't see what the, what really, I, I, I would, here's what I would say. I don't really see what the deadline would then be for the owners to talk about it with the players again until, you know, January or February of next year trying to get something done before next year's league year would expire. So I, I don't really think that there would be negotiations over the next six, ten months or whatever, because really the next deadline at that point is then not until early March of 2021. So I, I wouldn't think that they would do a whole lot of negotiating between now and then, and I do think that they would start to do the TV deals. In terms of what it means for this Why, year, well, let me, well it just you means mentioned a deadline. lot. What do you see as the deadline now? Three deadlines. One would be the, the start of the 2020 league year. 
The second would be the start of the 2021 league year. And the third would be the start of the 2021 football season. Okay, and why is the those deadline are three possible deadlines? 2019. What, what year are we in? 2020. Why is that a deadline? Why are we talking about a deadline for this deal now? It's a deadline for this deal now because there are negatives for both sides going into the last year of a CBA, whether it's being able to franchise and transition tag, whether it's not being able to go ahead and get going on the TV deals now before the election, before there's potential economic unrest. You know, they, they put certain things in the last year of the CBA as 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 a means to really try to avoid the last year of a CBA to try to get the extension and incentivize both sides to get a deal done before the last year. Yes, but also in the CBA, and it's an area that I've been critical of, as you know, there are minimum spending requirements for teams. They don't go away. So whatever deficiencies there may be in 2020 without a new deal, teams are still obliged to the CBA requirements negotiated in the current CBA for minimum team spending. And for people to think, oh, well, because of the uncertainty, well, Cowboys won't pay Dak Prescott, the Chiefs won't pay Pat Mahomes, free agency will be light, I roll my eyes. I mean, this is not going to be the huge issue that I guess, again, that part of that fear mentality about not doing a deal. Well, I would say at a minimum, Andrew, you're talking about five or six million dollars into the cap per team. So for 32 teams, that's conservatively $150 million. When you talk about the owners had the $100 million kicker and then the $150 million if they were able to add those two playoff games for this year. So uh, if you're a free agent this year, that's a lot less money for you in the system. And obviously we've already talked about the 20% decrease it would be for the 65% of the guys that make the minimum in the NFL. Okay. I mean, listen, to get someone to sign a long-term deal – Obviously, you have to do something. And I've talked about the owners haven't even put forth a a revenue share increase in 2020. And they're trying to entice with the minimum salaries. I guess we disagree on how much of an incentive that is to get a deal done right now that locks you in for 11 years. Um, That's just something we disagree about. The value you get out of 2020 to lock in for 11 years of this specific contract. So that leads to the next good question, which is, what do you think, Andrew, the players can realistically gain? Let's just say they vote no. What do you think they can realistically gain when they negotiate um, later this year, which you think would happen? I don't think that there would be any negotiations until after the season. What do you think that the players could realistically gain? Well, I think this is where we get to what, what has happened, which players seem to be scratching their head, or at least some players, and maybe majority players, we'll find out. 17 games somehow went from non-negotiable for the players to non-negotiable for the owners. And I don't, 
I'm not in it. I don't understand how that happened. And I've heard Aaron Rodgers, I've heard others saying, how did that happen? So it seems now, almost miraculously, 17 games is inevitable. And my point all along is they have not gotten enough for that major, major give. So if they turn this down, the owners can respond a couple different ways. They can do what I talked about earlier, say that was the best you're going to get. Or they can work towards a better deal, knowing the other side rejected this deal. Better deal could have better revenue splits. Better deal could have uh, better rules allowing for free agency. Maybe address franchise transition, which they never addressed. Maybe better addressing of minimum salary uh, spending, which they barely addressed. Economic gives that the owners are so loath to do because they give in other areas like health and safety and work rules and things like that. And if they find out the owners won't do anything, then we get to a real deadline and higher stakes negotiating. In my mind, much higher stakes than we're talking about now. So how do you envision the players who have been negotiating for 10 months, how do you envision them being able to get all those things that you just laid out? Like, what do you think they're going to say or do that enables them to be able to get that stuff? I understand your question, Ross, but anyone think about any negotiation they've ever been in. When you turn down an offer, the other side can, again, take their ball and go home, or they can come back and try to make a deal. It's negotiating. I don't know exactly. I mean, one thing I suggest in my SI article is the first thing to say is, well, let's not make this hard 11 years. I mean, if the owners want an opt-out, great. They got one last time in 2006, I remember, and they used it to opt-out and get a better deal in 2011. But give the players one, too. Give the players an opt-out. You know, that would seem to be a relatively easy give if the play, if the owners get it too. But that seems to be off the table. I don't understand why this deal has to be so long with no increases in the revenue split after year two. So um, a couple thoughts there. One is I would argue that because the players get 55% of the TV revenue, I actually think that you know, giving in on quote unquote the seventeenth game isn't really that much of a give at all. And you know, I wrote about that. I do think one realistic thing, like in, in my mind, Andrew, if they vote no, I think the way that the players would quote unquote win is they would get rid of the seventeenth game. But then I actually think that they would roll back a lot of the gains that they've made here. And it would be rolled back, but that would be what they would quote unquote win. Um, your point about an opt out is interesting because if the players are going from 47% up to 48.5%, you know, at some point in this deal, then perhaps if they had an opt out after five years and they got a chance to go to the negotiating table again. Maybe they could get to 49 or 49 and a half. What I would ask you, though, is what evidence do we have 
that that would be the case. I mean, how do you know that the owners wouldn't opt out and grind the players back down to 48, 47 and a half, 47, whatever it is, like they did in 2011? That's a good question. And I, you know, what we're sort of, what you're operating under the premise that the owners control this and have all the leverage. And I hear a lot of that. And I guess the question then becomes, you know, I'm not suggesting you're saying this, Ross, but it's almost like there's a feeling like the players should be happy whatever they're getting. Where the people saying these things don't, would never say that about individual player negotiations. You know, if the Cowboys walk away from Dak Prescott, you think they're not coming back? Um, you think Prescott's agent will just say, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever you want because we're scared that you won't come back. I mean, the peop- there, there's this feeling about these collective negotiations, which is so different than the feeling people have about individual contract negotiations. And I, I see a lot of people out there, and when it comes to player holdouts, yeah, go for it. Pay the man. <laughs> and these same people are with players better take this deal. So you're asking questions, of course, where it's, it's, well, the owners could do this. Well, the owners could do that. Yet we don't hear that with people commenting on player negotiations. Sure, the owners could do a lot of things. But I ask you, and I know you mentioned $150 million, what are the owners going to take off the table? Extra practice squad spots? <laughs> Extra roster spots? They want to give them more time in the off season. Go from 47 to 46? I mean, what exactly are the owners going to take off the table here that is so, so valuable? My question. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue any all of those things are, are pretty valuable. And I saw your tweet the other day at Andrew Brandt about individual player negotiations. And I guess my response to that, Andrew, would be I think that individual players at times have more leverage than the players collectively do because the players aren't really collectively united and don't have the fortitude that a Zeke Elliott would have a year ago to just sit out until he got his money. I think it's easier for one person to do that and for that owner, Jerry Jones, say, okay, I'll give him the deal, we need him, or Dak Prescott or whoever. I think, uh, right or wrong, we've seen how it played out or plays out Anytime the players sort of try to take it to the uh, to, to to the twenty fourth hour, if you will, and it's not pretty. I mean, I, I followed closely the twenty eleven CBA negotiations, as did you. You know, we missed the Hall of Fame game. There was a chance they were going to miss more preseason games. The players held firm, uh, but but at that point. The players said, you know what? We don't want to miss the revenue that comes from these preseason games. We don't really want to miss these paychecks. Let's take this deal that they're offering now. And it was a significantly worse deal than 2006. So I guess my point has been 
Like we know what happens when it gets to that point where the rubber meets the road because we just saw what happens when the rubber meets the road in 2011. I'm not going to argue with you, Ross. I just think it's in your voice. It's in a lot of voices I respect. And I'm just kind of wondering why. And the it is a resignation. It's a real resignation that, you know, the owners are going to do what they're going to do. The players will never stay together. There's so many minimum salary players. It almost feels like, again, whatever they can get, sign it. And you know what? If they do, maybe I'll have that resignation, too. Maybe I will, too. You know, it just can't, you just can't win. And I get so many people asking me, well, how come NBA players and Major League Baseball players and even hockey players, and I don't know if I have a great answer. I mean, other than there are less of them, but, you know, here's the chance, right? Here's the one shot that players have to try to do better. And... I'm not I'm not arguing it. I just see that you and so many others, even players, have a resignation about this. A kind of a long deep sigh and like, yeah, well, you know, they're going to do that. And let me just say this, you mentioned 2006. I was in the Packers office front office hearing this in 2006, the the league conference call about the new CBA with Paul Tagliabue, and I heard what that deal was, and me and all these executives on the line asked the same question. What do we get? Like, what's in it for us? <laughs> so the union can negotiate a favorable deal, <laughs> and there were cap spikes in 2006 and seven and eight, and of course the owners got out of that deal. But... It can happen. Right. And I would argue, Andrew, that that happened in March of 2006, uh, heading into the last year of the prior agreements league year, which is the exact timing that we're talking about right now. And I think it'd be great if all of the players could stand united and would be willing to sacrifice games. I think it's a very different sport because of how short the careers are, how many guys make the minimum, the lack of um, you know, long-term guaranteed contracts. I don't think it's whatever they can get. I actually think that they've done a pretty decent job of getting increases sort of across the board in what they were looking for. Uh, but I do think if you look at the strike in 82, the strike in 87, the lockout in 2011, you know, we have a pretty significant history of what happens when you get to the uh, to, to, when you get to the point where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And I, I think my big thing, Andrew, would just be I think if the players vote no, and obviously it's out of our hands at this point now. If the players vote no, I think whatever they gain a year from now uh, will probably be – the gains will be minimal. 
I mean, there'll be something there that they'll gain on and they'll be able to say, hey, look, we made a gain here. But my guess would be for that most of the players, it won't be worth the money they missed out on in 2020. You know, whether that's the 20% for all the minimum salary guys, 65% of them, or frankly, all the free agents. I see guys like Chris Harris and Joe Schobert who are free agents who are somewhat critical of the deal. You want to talk about having one chance or one one bite at this. Those guys should absolutely want the CBA to be passed so that there's $5 million more per team and $150 million more out there. Now, I've seen these other numbers, Andrew, of 600, 700. I don't really understand that, where those numbers are coming from, 600, 700 million. I, I don't... I'm not. I don't really understand where those numbers are in terms of that's how much it would cost the players this year. Um, but I do know, you know, I think five million, six million per team is certainly very realistic. I did want to ask you one last question. You obviously have been very involved in this. You're all over it. Um, totally appreciate the way in which you present your viewpoint. It's interesting because of the way you present your viewpoint, Andrew. You know, I've seen multiple people on Twitter suggesting that maybe you'll someday work for the NFLPA or that uh, that perhaps is a motivation. I can't remember who I saw on Twitter. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, on the on the chance that you ever would potentially work for the NFLPA. You obviously are, are very invested in it. I've been on both sides, as you know. I've been an agent for many years. I'm an agent again. I work with Vayner Sports, Gary Vaynerchuk. I started a sports agency. So I'm kind of on the player's side again, and I've been on both sides. I think what you're seeing is that having been on both sides, where I've landed at my advanced age is the player's side in terms of equity. And when I make comments about this deal, and I think you know more better than anyone over the years, I've taken some pretty hard management stances, whether it be player contracts or certain issues and discipline. I've been on the management side on those topics. Here I'm on the player side, and I think the word I keep using is inequities. When I did contracts for the Packers that really took advantage of players and agents, they always, always came back to haunt me. They were inequitable deals, and they're not good. I think this is an inequitable deal. I point out why. I point out the value of the 17th game. We're never going back. This is the generation, generational movement to another game. I point out the inequities of the long deal. I point out the inequities of the minimum salary spending. I point out that 48.5 is not really 48.5 with the media kicker has to kick in. I point out share of gambling revenues is not all gambling revenues. It's only related to the in-season, not off-season. So on the union thing, you know, a few years ago, some members of the executive committee did contact me. They're no longer on the executive committee about running for that position. I was thinking about it, and then I saw that the current leader was extended without a competition or a vote. I have not done anything regarding that. I have not pursued any kind of position with the NFLPA. And the director job, of course, is not open. And I 
You know, I don't think I would do that. My life is too good without it. But let me say this. I'm a resource. (laughs) I've been a resource for individual players reaching out. If the union wants to reach out and use me as a resource, not a job. I'm not looking for a job. I got plenty of jobs. I could be a resource. I'm on their side. I'm an agent. (laughs) So as they reach out to other people on their side, which I assume they do, I'm a resource. So I'll just put it that way. I'm not searching for a job. I got a lot of jobs, but I'm a resource. Individual players are reaching out and the collective players can reach out as well. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed that. Ross and I talk every week, as you know, on his podcast. It's always good to bring him on a different opinion. And it was a nice uh, back and forth. And I hope you appreciated that to sort of hear all sides of the CBA. And maybe you can give your own yes or no even though it's not counting. And I know players listen to this as well and hope they're informed. That's the real goal, to inform and educate as much as we can. This podcast, of course, brought to you by BetOnline. It's a big week, a lot to dive into this week. Conference tournaments are all over the place. ACC, Big Ten, Big East, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12. This is the week you can get in on the action at BetOnline. Don't forget the promo code PODCAST1, your 50% sign-up bonus today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And what a week it is. Bet online. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports Podcast. Really appreciate those of you that follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. Apple Podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. Thanks again to our musician, Sam Brandt, to our producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, and we'll be back next week in another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.